If you don't deal with your demons, they go into the cellar of your heart and they start lifting weights. I don't know who said that. I heard it on a podcast not too long ago, so I don't know who to attribute the quote to, but I really like it. Uh, the only thing I don't like is that I didn't come up with it by myself. <laughs> but uh, And I, I love the idea that if we don't deal with the things, and not demons literally, but the things that happen to us, the things that we've done, the shame, the guilt, all these negative emotions that can compete with uh, for, for control of our lives, if we don't deal with those things, they don't just go away. They get stronger. If we don't deal with these things, the elephant in the room, um, it doesn't just walk out of the room. And this week we're wrapping up our series called Who's the Boss? And, and how to control these emotions that compete for control of our, of our moods and of our minds and of our mouth. And Jesus says that, that as followers of him, we need to develop the habit of monitoring what's going on in our lives, not just our behaviors. Because everybody who, who gets to a certain level of maturity, we can, we can manage some of this stuff. So we can go and, and make friends, we can get dates, we can get second dates, hopefully second dates with the same person over and over again. But Jesus takes things to a whole nother level of saying, watch your heart. Those things live in there, and that's where I like to work. Jesus works from the inside out. And if we don't deal these things on the inside, like childhood wounds, stuff people said to you in high school, they don't go away, and it gets stronger and stronger, and it impacts your future. And I don't want that for you, and more importantly, God doesn't want that for you. And one of the ways we identify those things is by paying attention to the emotions, like I said, that compete for control of our moods and our mouths. And we've talked about things like envy and guilt and anger, fear and loneliness. And today, I want to take a little bit of a, of a, of a turn towards a different path and talk about destructive emotions that disguise themselves as virtues. These are sneaky ones. They, they seem like we're being compassionate or sympathetic or that we're just showing care and concern for someone and, and we don't want to say anything because we love them. But what we consider as nice isn't always nice. Care doesn't always feel like caring. And love doesn't always feel like loving. Not everything feels warm and fuzzy when we really love someone. Parents... Grandparents, you know this. You know that doing the loving thing for the person that you're responsible for doesn't always feel good. If you're a parent, you've probably experienced a moment with your, your adolescent, your teenager, whatever, where they say, I hate you. And by the way, mom, dad, my stepdad, my grandparents, I'm so sorry. <laughs> you were right. But you know that feeling because it doesn't feel like love, but you know it's the right thing to do. And here's where it gets us as adults. Like we don't say the loving thing. We don't have that messy, difficult conversation because these, these emotions pop in us and they start becoming our boss because we fear rejection. We fear the plain old discomfort that comes along with conflict. We feel apprehension around these, these difficult conversations. And by the way, I'm a master at this. So um, please know that you are, are, are listening to someone who's just nailed this 100%.
Okay, I'm just waiting for comments to come in. You know, I'm one of you. We're all in process in, in this area. But it, this is important because these emotions uh, that come up, the discomfort and fear of rejection, they disguise themselves as sensitivity and concern. But they are really just fear, discomfort, and apprehension. So I've got a question for you. Do you want those things to be the boss of your emotions and of your mouth? Of course not. Nobody does. Now here's the challenge for us. In order to love other people and be what Jesus calls us to be, we can't let fear and apprehension and discomfort be the boss of us. We've got to recognize those things for what they are, bad bosses. We need to do what's right even though it doesn't feel good in the moment. And on the flip side of those things that, 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 are, that are uncomfortable, there's one more emotion I want to talk to you about. And that's indifference. Like That's a lack of concern where it should be. That's being passive about the people that we're called to influence and love and, and care for and walk alongside. And this one is incredibly easy to miss. It's the emotion that says, oh, that person's messing up, but I don't care. I'm busy. I've, I've got my own stuff to deal with. That marriage is in trouble, but I just shouldn't interfere. But that can actually lead to a place where we're, we're just hiding. We can even say things like that, that can be emotionally healthy, like they haven't asked me for my input or, or that's none of my business. But do you want indifference to be the boss of you? No, of course not. Now let's flip it on to you. When you're headed down the wrong path, when you're stumbling along, when you're about to make a decision that's going to mess up your life and possibly the people in your life, it's going to mess them up. Do you want other people to mind their own business? Or do you want those people to come alongside of you and lovingly and non-judgmentally and, and, and have a difficult conversation? Or do you want those people to give in to fear? Do you want those people to give in to discomfort or maybe indifference? Well, the answer is we, we need people in our lives to step up and speak to us even when it's uncomfortable. And for those of us that consider ourselves Jesus followers, you can't let those negative emotions boss you around because... Jesus' voice is more important, and his instructions are more important. And sometimes it doesn't always feel good. So here's the words of Jesus, Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Good grief. If there's, if there's any reason not to be a follower of Jesus, that's it. That's hard. And notice in that verse, says, if your brother or sister, and this is the understanding of Jesus' followers, that, that when we're Jesus' followers, we're family. We're together. Your win is my win. When, when you hurt, I hurt. And when, when your life takes a step backwards, that affects me because we're connected to the same body. But this is hard. When, when your brother or sister sins, go to them and point that out. Who does that? Who does that? The answer is people who care. 
So let's back up a few verses and, and give a little context because that sounds like a really harsh command from Jesus, but with the context, and he's going to take us on a journey and tell a few stories here where this will make sense uh, after we get to the end of this, hopefully. So in verse one of the same chapter, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, this, the kingdom of God, this is what Jesus came to introduce. It's, a, it's another realm of existence and values and, and a way of living that's contrary to the way that, that the cultures and systems of this world works. And they were expecting him to say, you know, who's the greatest in my kingdom? Well, I'm glad you asked, Peter. It's someone like you. Or maybe, oh, well, Matthew. Yeah, he's starting to get it. But instead... He called a little child to them and placed the child among them. So Jesus just basically uh, asked someone in the crowd. There's a crowd of people around. Hey, can I borrow your kid for a second? And he sets the child in front of them and says, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> Forget who's the greatest. Unless you become like a, a little child, you can't even get in. So he's got their attention. And in this moment, Jesus begins this train of thought that will land in the uncomfortable spot where we started. In verse 6, he says, If anyone causes one of these little children, those who believe in me, to stumble. So he's making it bigger than the kid. All these new believers in him, he's saying. This is beyond the child. If you cause one of them to stumble, another way to think about it is to be thrown off course Another way to think about it is to go backwards or to lose their way. So everyone's listening. If you cause one of these little children to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. A millstone is this giant stone, circular stone, that a donkey would uh, drag around to crush grains. Jesus is using hyperbole here to make a point that we're not to cause other people to stumble, to get lost, to lose their way. We gotta look out for each other. And then Jesus says my favorite word, whoa. When Jesus says, whoa, listen up. Verse seven, woe to the world because of those things that cause people to stumble. There's an exclamation point there. He said, there are things that are gonna come up in life that trip us up. There are situations and systems out there in, in the world even 2,000 years ago, that caused people to stumble and lose their way. So woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. This is critical for us to understand. It's one thing for life to throw us something that, that causes us to trip up, a tragedy, a hurt, uh, being overlooked and injustice, that stuff happens. And it's a completely other thing for someone to cause someone else to stumble. I love this quote. Don't ever be someone else's, mis don't be someone's mistake. That's a, a way to paraphrase what Jesus just said. This is a big deal. And notice the progression here. So some people stumble because of their life situation or, or, or circumstances that happen to them. Then there's people that cause other people to stumble. And then Jesus goes on to say that sometimes we're the worst thing in our own way. 
In verse 8, he says, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. Not literally. Please don't go away yet. (laughs) Don't go off and do that. The key word here is throw it away. And Jesus is saying, if you have control over something in your life, you have control over that boundary and, and and you're letting something in that's causing you to stumble, deal with it. There's nothing more important than your heart and your journey. And, and just throw it away. Get rid of it. If, you, if you're a slave to anything other than God, if you're bound up by anything other than the way of Jesus, it's not going to do you any good. He continues, And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. If there's anything in your life that causes you to go backwards, Get rid of it. Why? It's because God loves you so much. In your your regular life, he cares about that. And if there's something in your marriage that's that's causing you to go backwards, throw that thing out of your life because your marriage is more important. If there's some sort of habit you have that's causing havoc even to your financial life and you're taking a step back, take that thing out. This is a big deal to Jesus because you are a big deal all of your life, your thought life, your behaviors, and especially what's going on inside of your heart. Jesus said, it's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of Gehenna. The key word there is thrown. You got to throw other stuff out of your life that's that's not good for you, that's toxic, because if you don't, your whole life will be thrown into the fires of Gehenna. It's better for you to throw things out of your life than for your whole life to be thrown into chaos. Gehenna is a real place. It's in the south of Jerusalem. You can still go there and see where it was. And it was a real active place in Jesus' day. And before Jesus, this is where the children of Israel and and, and under the influence of other cultures and, and people groups around them, it got so bad in this area that there was actual child sacrifices to the pagan god Molech. And the nation of Israel were, was judged for the worship of Molech that happened in this area. And it became known as a cursed area. And by the time of Jesus, it was a garbage dump. Like this was a literal place. And Jesus is trying to tell his disciples and the people who were around Throw the garbage out of your life before your life is being thrown into the garbage dump. You got to do this because if you don't, your life will become hell on earth. So have you ever stumbled? Of course, we all have. We've all, we've all gotten into a, a jam. We've all, we've all had doubts. We've all had, had areas where we've let dangerous things into our life. Maybe it's something that started out legal and now it's illegal for you. You ever wished that you'd thrown away a phone number? You ever wished that you'd never gone to that webpage? You ever wished that you had just deleted the text, but instead you responded? Or maybe there's some of you watching that, that wish you could go back in time and never take that first drink, but you didn't. And now you found yourself stuck or, or, or whatever the first thing was. If you're addicted to anything, 
We're not supposed to be addicted, that God has a better dream for you than to be a slave to any type of addiction. And Jesus is saying, if you're finding yourself going off in that path, it's time to take extreme measures. And I think Jesus would say, take extreme measures because I love you extremely. And then at this point in the conversation, Jesus switches gears. And in verse 12, he says, what do you think? Now, uh, if the teacher ever said that in my class, I usually just kept my mouth shut because I knew whatever I said was going to be wrong. And if you're smart and Jesus, God incarnate, says, what do you think? You, uh, you keep your mouth shut. And I, we don't have uh, the response there, but he immediately tells them a familiar parable. And as we get into this parable, remember that Jesus taught on earth for three years that we have record of, and he repeated a lot of these parables over and over. Because Jesus knows as humans, we forget. He knows we have thick skulls sometimes, but he wants to make sure that the people get it as much as possible. So he goes on and says, if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of the sheep wanders away. Now, I know, we're in 2022, sheep, having 100 sheep seems a little bit odd to us. And, but, but one of the sheep are us. He uses humans and sheep interchangeably. It's the best image we have of, of how God cares for us. And sheep wander off. <laughs> they wander off. They fall over. They fall down. They need supervision from themselves and from predators. Jesus said, if this man has 100 sheep and one of them wanders away, Will he not leave the 99 on the hills to go look for the one that wandered off? And everybody in this culture, everyone listening would have said, well, yeah, of course. And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Perish stumble, get off track, get lost. If Jesus would have stopped here, it would have been awesome. Warm and fuzzy feelings all over the place. I mean, this is good news for us. God comes to look for us. When God finds us, there's a celebration. So this would have been a part where it would have been awesome if the, if the disciples just said, okay, thanks for telling us what God is like, Jesus. We'll see you later. But Jesus is like, you're my followers, right? He wouldn't let them go even if they said, okay, you, you just drop the mic, Jesus. Uh, I want to walk away with this warm and fuzzy feeling. Jesus would have said, no, if you're my followers, right? Guess what? You're involved in the process. God wants to use you to help and go gather these hurting, lost, uh, and, and confused sheep. See, when you see someone you know stumbling, when you know that there's someone you care about that's about to make a decision that will, that will mess up their life, the most loving thing you can do is to have a conversation about it. Not like this, not like you're the sin police, but to lovingly, caringly enter into that awkward conversation. And we land where we began. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Go. That's, that's not my first instinct. My first instinct is I'm going to just pray for them, cross my fingers, and, and hope for the best. 
Maybe I'll just send them a really good sermon from Solid Ground Church and that'll fix them. My first instinct is to worry about the people in my life and, 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 and pray and worry and just, oh God, I hope you can fix it. Jesus says, oh, he doesn't say, no, don't pray. Jesus says, go. I'm not proud of it. There have been times in my life where I, I've noticed something in somebody's life and, in, and I would pray for them and worry about them and maybe even gossip. Hey, did you hear what our buddy's doing? Hey, did you hear about this thing that's in his life? No, Jesus, don't gossip. Don't gossip. Don't say, hey, I have a friend. Uh, I'm not going to mention his name. His name's Bob. Um, you probably know him. Uh, his last name starts with F. But no, no, Jesus says go. And we say, oh, but I want to be sensitive. We, we can have all these excuses. But Jesus says go and just keep it between the two of you. But it's none of my, G- my, none of my business, Jesus. Jesus said I've made it your business. I've forgiven you. You've been forgiven much. I want to use you to care for your brothers and sisters. And he goes on to say, if they listen to you, you have won them over. If you go and have that awkward conversation, and I must stress, in a loving way, a curious way, a way that's like Jesus, Jesus is saying, you can be a part of their story. I'm so grateful for the people in my story that have said, I've noticed this in your life, Mike. You're better than that. Coach Brown in Little League, Earl McClellan saying, Mike, I love you, but sometimes you're passive aggressive. (laughs) Stop it. How can I help you? And in those conversations, when I was confronted in my life, my attitude especially took a turn for the better, I left those conversations feeling better about myself. That's one way if someone confronts you, and you you feel condemned and ashamed, that can be a a litmus test for you of what criticism to let in. Uh, Because usually these conversations don't go well. Jesus said go and have them, but in verse 16, he gives us the provision for if they don't. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So if you're like me, and you go and have the first messy conversation, there's a little bit of a letdown. There's no more adrenaline, no more uh, more testosterone, and you could say, okay, I I talked to them about it, that was really hard, but at least I talked to them about it. I get extra credit for being a good Christian. I can stop now, right? And Jesus says, no, not yet. Are you serious, Jesus? And the witnesses, what is this, court? Who does this? Seriously, who does this? Good shepherds do it. Brothers and sisters who really love each other, they do this thing. Our Heavenly Father does this too. So, in verse 17, If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the assembly. And if they refuse to listen, even to the assembly, treat them as you would a Gentile or a tax collector. Now, if you've been following along with your English Bible, you probably notice that there's the word church there and not an assembly. That's a completely different conversation. It's a translation that shouldn't have ever been there uh, because there was no church at the time of Jesus. This is the, the, the gathering, the movement, or the way, the way I see it is that the family of God. And if this person continues to wreck and ruin their life and they're determined to stay on that on that path and, and, and as the, the loving community of people that cared about them, um, 
they're, they're going to continue going on that path, then we have to reevaluate here. And I want to stress again, this is not about being busybodies or the sin police. This is about people who lovingly are just looking out for each other. And they've come to a place that have said, we love you too much for this not to be our business. And Jesus mentioned you treat them like a, a Gentile or a tax collector. And in there is the idea that, that when you actually confront someone, the assumption is that they see the world the same way you do. There's overlap on the Venn diagram. You have a shared worldview. You have a shared values. And when you realize you don't, you have to choose a different approach. And now it's not any of your business. Do you still live them? Do you still love them? Of course. Absolutely. But as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we have common ground and that's ideal, but we're not always going to see the world the same way. And you take a different approach to them and you love them and you continue to pray for them. But then it's no longer your business. And so many times we get this upside down. You get this inside out. I get this inside out. So many times there's someone in our life that we love and we don't do anything, but yet we go around to the Gentiles and tax collectors and we talk about their bad behavior and make their business, which is none of our business, we make it our business, ignoring the issues that could hurt the people that are our business. I hope that made sense. Of course we still love these people. And why would Jesus set this, this, this template out for us? Why in the world would he do it? Because it sounds so hard. He tells us to do this because he loves you and me. So the whole verse, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their faults just between the two of you. If they've listened, you have won them over. Whether you feel like it or not. And this is an important part. If we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to follow him and his, his template for this. And we do it like Jesus did without condemnation. Uh, the woman uh, caught in adultery, Jesus says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. There's care. There's concern. But I can tell you, there's times when I have lovingly confronted people. I've been confronted and there have been times where I've been so grateful for it. But when I've let fear of rejection, when I've let the fear of, of, uh, of what they might say and how messy it is, when I've kept silent because it's uncomfortable, it has blown up in my face and it's blown up in other people's faces. Love is not silent when there's something that needs to be said. Yes, this is messy. Indifference is silent. And don't camouflage fear, the fear of discomfort, your apprehension and indifference. Don't camouflage those things as love and concern and being tender. Those things can become the boss of you. When those things rise up, you have to say, God, help me. God, help me to, to confront these things and, and say fear, indifference, discomfort. You are not the boss of me. Love forbids me from remaining silent. Love forbids me from minding my own business. Just want to ask you and keep poking at you just a little bit. Is anyone coming to mind? Is anyone popping in there? 
please don't let your emotions keeping, keep you from doing what you need to do. Their future may depend on it. You don't do this because you know it's going to work. And as Christians, you, know, you may have heard me say this before, and if you stick around, you're going to hear me saying it again. Our command from Jesus, our standing orders from Jesus are love one another as I have loved you. That's what we're talking about today. There's more. This is, this is one way that we love each other. So I want to pray for you. Wherever you find yourself in this journey of uh, maybe you're, you're indifferent and silent, or maybe you're not doing this in love, but I want to pray for all of our hearts now and that we would all follow Jesus uh, in this way and, and to no longer let those things be the boss of us. So let's search our hearts right now and just spend a moment in prayer together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for, for your way, even though it's not easy. And this, this particular teaching can be so hard. Will you give us wisdom? Will you give us grace? Will you give us the courage to lovingly look out for each other? And dear Heavenly Father, we, we point our hearts towards you today and proclaim that you are the Lord of our life. We turn over control of our lives to you. And once again, ask that you would be the boss of us and that absolutely nothing else will be. But we can only do this with you working inside of us. May we stay connected to you. God, heal our connection with you. Our vine, may we be your branches. So God, we give you this area of our life and ask for your help. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thanks for stopping by. We love you. Uh, if there's anything we can do to encourage you on your path, please don't hesitate to reach out to us at sgbic.com. And until we're together again, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine down upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and may the Lord give you his peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.